Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Uh, today, we have Coach Pat McCloskey on, and we are excited to have Coach Pat. So we'll turn it over to you to give the uh, listeners a little introduction on yourself. That's very kind of you guys to have me in. I work out of Washington, D.C. I have a personal training business with a business partner of mine for 34 years. We have five locations, probably 25 trainers, and over the 30, 34 years and the multiple locations. It's been a learning experience extraordinaire. I've had the privilege of being the guy in the company who was sent out early to go learn and try to bring back and disseminate information to the, to the staff. Mm. One of the things that, that makes our operation a little different is from the get-go, we've team trained. So that means, Dennis, if you came in for a workout on Monday, I might train you. And on Wednesday, Neil train you. Oh. And on Friday, a third trainer might train you. But one of us would be in charge of your program. What that required of us was to really be on the same page. So, mm. you know, if I bring somebody in, hire a new trainer who's a kettlebell guru in mm-hmm. his or her own right, that's great. But I can't really have him or her doing stuff that the rest of us can't implement as well. So on the one hand, it, it's a challenge to bring a new trainer up to speed. And then it, sometimes it's a challenge to bring the staff up to speed when I hire a rock star. So, and gotcha. that happens on, on occasion. And you know, because of that, having that role and that license to travel and study, I've been really lucky. I mean, I got to study you guys. I've studied with the Gray Institute, with uh, Institute of Motion, Scotty Hopkins, and their group. You know, there's so many wonderful educational opportunities mm-hmm. out there. It's it's almost a challenge for an incoming trainer to to be able to. We were talking in the in the warm up of just to be able to discern and go, wow, who should I be looking at? And what mm-hmm. makes sense? But of course, you know, as we all see, the biggest challenge with most new trainers is they're, they're going to implement, here's what worked for me and here's what I like, mm-hmm. and it's going to work for you. Um, yeah. But it, you know, just doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> is the foundation of, uh, of your training and all the trainers, is it mostly from the Gray Institute? So I'd say, yeah, because I was lucky to study them early, their approach of applied functional science, really just all things movement. I think it has really been a foundation. What's what I think is important, you know, so many things like with you guys, you, you teach the stick mobility and it has so many applications. You know, we, we've had great results with it. But then if somebody doesn't follow you guys on Instagram, the Diamond Physique, mm-hmm. they got no idea about the expertise you have in classic and, and even novel strength training, you know, very inventive styles and, and approaches to try to stimulate the body to improve. Mm-hmm. To me, the, one of the beauties of the, the Gray Institute's influence has been to be open to all those things and yeah. be able to find what are you going to use with this guy? What, what couple of things are really going to work for this client? They may have no use in another program, or they may have to be modified dramatically, that sort of thing. So I'd, I'd say, yeah, that, that that's probably a, a foundation. And from a programming standpoint, the, the Institute of Motion has been a big big influence and pivotal, pivotal coaching, their approach to sort of combining methods, I think has, has, has been a big influence as well. So, and then, but then you get into specific equipment applications, you know, like what you guys did, not to sound like a sycophant, but what you guys did for the public mm-hmm. at the beginning, during COVID last year, last spring, those daily workouts, mm-hmm. I mean, they were unfathomable. I was telling my staff, you have to go through these. You know, you're, I'm buying your sticks, go through these, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you won't be able to grasp all the whys because that's not what the routines were. They were mm-hmm. workouts, yeah. but I mean, it was, uh, and I can only, I can tell you, honestly, from a mental health standpoint, they kept me sane. Great. It was really a, a huge, huge gift, huge gift. So thanks for that. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. That was one of our big things is understanding that people being in lockdown are going to kind of go berserk. Right. So, you know, we understand confinement and what it does mentally. Right. So to give people that kind of empowerment ability to at least for a little bit, kind of forget about what's going on outside and just uh, give them that a a little bit of sanity and really, it's it's a lot of people don't have a lot of equipment at their house, right? Yeah. Because they were used to going to gyms. So, you know, a stick is easy. Just grab a stick. We don't care what you have. Just grab it and let's just go through some movements right. uh, to get you right. moving and feeling good, right? And and what it shows is that, now, to be fair, 
the stick mobility sticks are probably more diverse than I'm trying to think. Viper is pretty diverse, mm. but you know, the, there's just so many things you can take your tools and apply them and get benefit from. But the only way to really get a grasp on that is to live it. You know, yeah, it's yeah. certainly, and for most, for most trainers, especially, you know, we're probably kinesthetic by nature and oh, uh, yeah. at least we, we hope we are a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to live it. And, and for me personally, it was, it was so much fun to be the athlete again. I get one of the, one of the cool things about my job is that when we bring on a new trainer, they, I've got to be their client for a little while, you know? Okay. And, and you can imagine, I mean, for 25 year old trainer, fresh out of college, never worked with a client to have their boss, uh, even, even a gray haired reading glasses, old guy <laughs> like me still, you're, they're like, you know, they're sort of on, on pins and needles a little bit, Oh yeah. but, but as soon and I, I'm, I bet it works this way with everybody. As soon as I got into the mode, as soon as I'm exercising, a little out of breath, you know, I'm just totally disconnected from reviewing their performance. I'm the, I'm, I'm just, I'm the client. Like, how yeah. me more? That sort of thing. <laughs> and so during your workouts, you know, there were times where I'm like, oh, no, not that one. Not that one. <laughs> you know, or, oh, good. I love that exercise. You know, but 60 seconds. Are you kidding me? <laughs> And, and you guys would be doing the exercise, you know, most of the time alongside of us and just sort of smiling as you went. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because, yeah, you can get your ass kicked with the stick. I mean, really, yeah. I mean, it's and it's just understanding isometrics and, and applying it. And we, for us, isometrics was kind of a lost thing. Totally it's, agree. it's not sexy. It doesn't sell. And I think and that's unfortunate with the industry is. It's about sex appeal, what sells, what can we market, and and isometrics just it, it's not that, you know? No question. But before I ran into you guys, I, I think I took your first level course three summers ago. Mm-hmm. If we're in a summer now, it was a couple summers yeah, back yeah. down in Texas. And I certainly, when, when you just said, you know, it had been forgotten, I had professionally lost respect or appreciation for the incredible value of isometrics. Now it's tough. You can't, Somebody's not going to pay to do 45 minutes of just isometrics for long. Yeah. yeah, you know? yeah. Um, but being able to dose them in strategically and not just in a warm up, but you know, they're really absolutely huge, whether you're doing reconditioning work or performance work, you know, as a, as a general rule. Uh, and I know, like for the athletes that we're lucky enough to work with, you know, even the amateur ones, you know, you, you take any AAU basketball kid in high school and they are so beat up. Because everything they're doing is hard cut, high volume, hard cutting. And then their parent comes in and says, you got to really teach them how to cut. They got to cut better. And I was like, yeah, we can't do any hard cuts, man. They, they're, tra- they're practicing every day. We can't add more of that. You know? yeah, so isometrics as one strategy provide, especially multidirectional and some creative supplement with tools like the stick, just, just have a huge, huge role. And I'd forgotten about it for sure. And I... I it's fair to say everybody had. No, I we had. I mean, I know I had. I mean, yeah. I grew up watching, you know, listening to uh, Charles uh, Atlas and you right. know reading reading his isometric stuff. But right by the time I was you know fifteen, I you know right. oh because it was just bench. How much do right. you bench? You know, right. like that was the question, right? You work totally. out. How much do you bench? So that in my brain, that's all I cared about, right? You right. know. If it didn't make my arms bigger, you know, (laughs) I had a client come in the other day with, and his requirement for when he goes back to college for the team that he plays on, it was this massive six minute high intensity shuttle test. Oh, and we needed max bench press. And, and I was like, that's, you know, there's a really different, you know, it's it's cool, (laughs) but we can't do that in a half hour. You know, (laughs) we we can work on one. You're going to need to train more than. 45 minutes a day, you're going to have to really put an effort in. So yeah, that, that sort of want everything out of a fitness program. That can be tough. It can be a tough request. I think it was a month and a half ago or two months ago, you had posted talking about having a client who does a lot of gardening at their house. And then you were, you had the little wheelbarrow drill that you created. Uh-huh. And I was like, that is freaking money right there. And what's funny is we had Ray Bailey. I had him do it and he was all like, this is super hard and difficult. So what I was wondering is, is when you're thinking, when a client is telling you about what he or she does, and you're thinking, okay, okay, I can create this certain drill. Are there certain 
qualities or, or, or uh, principles that you're always establishing when you're creating a, a new or specific drill for the a, a desired outcome? So not, not to sound too simple, but the, the first thing is I want to make sure I don't overdo it you okay. know, and make it too, you know, the, go too far in, you know, the, the, the common term, you know, the, the, at the Institute is tweak it, you know, to over tweak it. Mm-hmm. So like in that example, when I was trying to simulate, because to me, as a side note, I mean, if I could open a new gym tomorrow, I'd have a 20 degree turf hill, oh, you know, and, yes. you know, and a wheelbarrow to have to walk up and then oh. decelerate going down, you <laughs> know, because it's just total, you know, just got so many things. But so for that client, the, that was the same client a couple weeks later who was having trouble taking tr- a trash can, you know, dr- rolling a trash wow. can, one arm behind him going up. So you want to try to simulate it, but it's hard to go impossible. And in the old, my younger days, I certainly would make the mistake of having it be just too crazy. You know, the old, mm. the old examples of, you know, standing on a BOSU, having your head turned left to right. And in those days, 30 years ago, we didn't even know that was vestibular training. We were just, you know, we were creating circuits. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, That's wow. kind of hard. <laughs> you know a foreign language? Talk in foreign language, you know what I mean? Um, count, count backwards in some foreign language uh, while you've got, you know, two eyes closed. And then you'd back down from there. You'd be mm-hmm. like, whoa, we went too crazy. What do we have to take away? Mm-hmm. So one of the things I tried to do is, okay, well, let me get close to the activity, simulate something that's going to have something to do with it, load the same chains, try to be a similar task. And then refine it upward, you know, to challenge. So much better, to, the expression we use a lot is it's much better to undercook than to overcook. Because once you overcook, you're in, you could be in trouble. You don't know mm-hmm. what sort of trouble you might be in. So I had, a, had occasion with a quarterback a few years ago who was playing at a high level. And the, the thing oh. I was most proud of coming out of the experience of training him was that he never once had a, a workout hangover. Mm. You know, and so whenever I tell that story to a new client, or there, there's always that sort of aggressive approach. It says, "Well, how do you know you trained him hard enough?" And I was like, "Well, that's a fair point." You know, I said, "But I know if I trained him too hard, that I might have gotten in trouble, and we might not have known in time to back up successfully." I think that the, the, the days of not that effort's not critical, mm-hmm. but to make sure that somebody's not writing checks that their body's going to cash, yeah. and you won't know it till later on. I think it's it's pretty important. I'm not a research guru to to quote studies and whatnot, mm. but there's been some stuff that I've seen just in the past year that talks about you two are identical twins and one's going to complete exhaustion and the other's staying a couple reps away, and that the differential in an outcome is mm. not very profound. You know, so for the dad who wants his kid to get tougher and be able to get through those extra reps. I understand the spirit of it, but there's some research that's showing, I don't even know if it's necessary. And if we're beating them up too much, uh, you know, we could really be doing them a disservice. Anybody who's been near a high school weight room, sort of an unsupervised or the poor sport coach, you know, there's one guy, 30 kids with a bunch of power racks, oh, Yeah, you know, you're like, wow, the body, the human body is incredibly resilient, at least at that age. <laughs> but that margin of error reduces especially when you, if you're making your living off of 30 and 40 and 50 year old attorneys, the, that margin of error is smaller. So relying purely on load, you know, increase or relying purely on volume or intent, how hard can you push the metabolism? What are you going to do when they're 10 years older? You know, yeah. you're going to do more, you know? So yeah. that dosage is really, I guess it's almost art form. So to kind of circle back to your question, in creating something to try to serve a particular athletic or functional outcome, the key is to start small and then gradually try to feather in some nuance or some intensity. There's nothing wrong with having some reps. I had a kid the other day who she said something fun. I, I posted this today. I had her do an exercise and she was just good at it. You know, mm-hmm. it was something with a Viper. It might've been a, a, a cook bar chop. But I said, man, that just looks like your body likes that. Mm-hmm. And, and she said, it does, it feels cool. And, yeah. and, and I was like, wow, that's the best feedback you could possibly get. So we want to try to make it feel a little less cool or a little more challenging, but man, go ahead, do some of those money reps that feel cool. That's almost why all of us are drawn to certain activities because those things feel cool to us, you know? Yeah. And then you try to tweak off of that. And Neil, you said, my guess is that when you were rock climbing or swinging a golf club, 
it felt cool to you. You know, yeah, Your definitely. Body dug it. Yeah, it, it found a groove on some level. So it wouldn't mean okay, then just go do those activities. You can prepare for those activities with some strategic simulations that might be actually better than just more repetition on the activity for physical, for resource development. Because that's really what training is, is to give the body resources. So then you go do whatever it is you want the way you want to do it. you know. Mm-hmm. And that, that's part of the trick. We, we get to work with some people who are amateur golfers. But you know, if I want their hips to have more play, and they're like, wow, my golf pro is telling me my hips have to stay in the tube. I'm like, totally respect it. But we got to get some adduction and abduction with rotation, you know, internal and external rotation simultaneously. And then you'll control it on the, on the course. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if your hips are stuck, you got nothing to stay in the tube. You're, <laughs> you know, like the wheelbarrow example, that's not a huge micro skill task. You know, there's certainly mm-hmm. skill to it. But with golfing, you know, we try to stay really far away from, saying, hey, we're not teaching you anything about golf. We yeah. might do a couple exercises, you know, that look or resemble, but don't try to, don't feel you have to make it feel like golf too much. We just want it, when you get out to, with a golf club, we want that to feel more comfortable by freeing up or developing control in certain areas. But, you know, we're, we're not here to teach you how to kick a football or how to swing a golf club. We want to give you the resources to do it better yourself. But I guess I've already given away that I think running a wheelbarrow uphill helps everybody do better at everything. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think incline training as a whole is a really big missing element in a lot of people's training because we've lost this ability to deal with anything other than a flat surface. Right. You know, right. and, and going up and down terrain is really, if you kind of think about it, just go stand outside and look outside, right? Right. If you got a hill, if you got a mountain, we used to go up and down those things, right? So you have, right. we've lost those aspects and we carried things up and down. That's right? where you need to play golf, man. Carry your bag up and down hills for five or six miles. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> well, if it, like we're listening to David Lieberman's book, right? Exercise. Yeah. And he's talking about the women the carry stuff on their heads with no, with no arm assistance, you know, 70, 80 years of age. And they're going from point A to point B and it's in it's up and hill down terrain. Right. And how one of his other assistants was all like, well, let me try it. And he's putting a 10 pound, 20 pound object on his head and he's all over the place. Right. You know, so it's, it's those different little nuances that we've just kind of, we're losing out on in a way. Yeah, there's no no question. And and the part of the challenge is it's cool that there is a lot of passion about exercise now culturally. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the statistics are still pretty low in terms of how many yeah. people actually exercise consistently mm-hmm. and effectively for you know to improve their health mm-hmm. and help them age more competently. But the part of that's because it's hard, you know? Yeah. So and if culture is, wow, it's only the hard, there's nothing wrong with hard work, right? Yeah. It's necessary. But to challenge thresholds. But if, if it's only hard work, if there's not quality, you know, if there's not things that get the body to enjoy moving more, if they're only, if it's just suffering and character building in the gym, it's no wonder people move shy away from it because everybody knows it's good for you. You know, you go to any corner of any neighborhood anywhere in the country and people that people are espousing the benefits of exercise, Mm -hmm. you know, while they don't do it, you know, because it's, because it's hard. Even even moderate exercise done consistently takes effort and time. It's no wonder that people don't do really fascinating things like walk with stuff on their head. I, again, I'm not, I'm not great at quoting names and research. There are some people who are doing some pretty cool work with superior loading for, mm. for bone density in the spine, you know, top down. To me, I, the first thing I thought was, man, you want to be careful with that, I would think, but I'm not sure, you know? Well, but these people have been doing this for their whole right. life. And no it's question. interesting because, I mean, in the last month, I've been getting much more fascinated into training the neck, right? Because right. I remember wrestling as a kid. You're always getting, you know, your opponent's grabbing your head, pulling you in, right. you know, get you in a front face lock, and they're trying to rotate you. Well, I was able to just resist a front face lock with the rotation. I wasn't budging, Right. But I always, I, I wanted to always have big traps. So for me, I was always between wrestling and shoulder shrugs. I was all about boom, boom. Right. The trepidation that a lot of people have 
and training the neck. And I'm like, there are muscles there for a reason. So, yes, be vigilant, but don't be afraid of it at the same time, especially over in Asia. A lot of people hang from the neck and then they, they, oh, yeah. And so what's funny is, is when you look at social media and you see those videos, the comments, oh, my God, they're going to break their neck, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay, that person looks like they're 70. I'm pretty sure they didn't wake up yesterday and say, you know what I'd like to do today? I'd like to hang from my neck, right? That person's probably been doing it for at least a good 10, 20 years minimum, sure. right? right? So, yeah, they've had a ton of adaptation. The body's been able to adapt to that stimulus. Right. Yeah, uh, and I guess to go back to you're placing something on your head, I mean, that wasn't the theme of our, you know, going into yeah. the conversation, but, yeah. but it's a cool idea with just the basic physics applied to the body if mm. there's an equal and opposite reaction and you compress me i'm going to mm. try you know actively lengthen to the extent that it can there's a logic to that there's a logic to that the i'm going to go put a 25 pound plate put the circle right on the top of my head when we're done talking nepal the nepali warriors if you see in order to be a, a gurkha soldier you have to they actually take a, a basket and they fill it with rocks and they have a band that goes around the forehead and attaches to the basket. And they have to run X amount of kilometers in under a certain time to qualify to be a Gurkha warrior. Really? Oh, Holy yeah. Cow. So Holy that's the stuff. And they've been doing this for uh, quite a while. They're like It's a tradition in Nepal that they right. do. And when you look at these guys, they're not huge. Like I'm like watching these videos and I'm like, they're not that guy that comes into the gym and you're like, damn, that's that's a beast, right? right? And so they're putting, I don't know what the weight is offhand of the rocks, sure. but it's significant. Like it's a good percentage of their body weight. And the, they're killing it. They're killing wow. it. They're going up and down mountains and the path. And uh, I forget how many kilometers it is. You can see the videos on YouTube and stuff. But I'll have to uh, check it out. I'll tell you, the first time I saw that a few years ago, I was absolutely blown away because especially at the altitude that they live at too right. i mean it's it's crazy I'm sure they yeah. start with like just a couple rocks and then build it up over time um i like what you guys yeah. say in your your cafs course about stimulate and not annihilate mm-hmm. yeah i mean no, i think that's, that i think that i think that's perfect yeah yeah i'm pretty sure i didn't come up with that one no. that was probably <laughs> lenny, lenny or gary or doug <laughs> uh, uh for without question lenny parasino would all he he, he used to say a lot you know, you want muscles to sing, not scream, mm-hmm. but, you know, and then when you need them to scream, they're there, yeah. but they don't have to yes. scream constantly in the preparation. Yeah. We love saying, you know, training should be adaptable, not survivable. That's uh, a great expression. Right. And then, That's brilliant. but that, but when you do need to survive, you have the ability to do it if necessary. Right. 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 You know, so that's, and, and that's the fine line there. And, you know, with most of the people who are coming in looking for services, from professional, you know, instructors, there is the balance. You know, you you push somebody hard too early, and they might have all the willpower in the world, but there is something subconscious going on and saying, you know, yeah, I got something else I got to do. <laughs> and that's that gets back to why so many people don't exercise. But you know, it's interesting because I presume it was nationwide, maybe worldwide, uh, during COVID this time last year, people conversation on the news and whatnot about how many people were out walking because that was all we could do. Yeah, and. Most of the time, people are probably presenting that walking at an adaptable volume as opposed to a survivable. There were probably some who ever did it. So hopefully there was a positive scenario. And at least there was the capacity to be compliant and come back and do it again, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was the next day or the you know, day after, that sort of thing. Uh, but like, Neil, the, the, the golf is an example. To prepare for four hours of golf, especially if you're walking, carrying a bag, it's just so much different than going to the range. Oh, and yeah. hitting, hitting three buckets of balls, you know, with any sort of rhythm. And, you know, it's just, it's hard. The, they're one, one serves the other. Golfing for, for four hours, you know, you're, if you're a good golfer, you know, you can do the math on the strokes and the practice strokes. But the one guy out of Canada, Dustin Lang, I think he did a calculation where the average pro golfer is only golfing for 4% of the time he's on the course. It's, you know, some, some really minute number mm. relative to and we we did a similar thing with the with the quarterback yeah. and the, his 
action was really compressed into 10 minutes over the course of the whole mm-hmm. afternoon, you mm-hmm. know what I mean, in terms of his time under task, something like that. So how do you prepare for that four hours? Or how do you prepare somebody to handle the driving range so they can get enough reps to get the skill to make them happy out on the, you know, those, those, are, those are challenging questions for, for a trainer when you've got 30 or 45 minutes with somebody. Yeah. You know, when people start playing golf, they go out and play nine holes on like a, a little executive course. And then the moment they go to an 18 hole course, they're like, oh man, I'm so tired. This is, <laughs> oh, this is brutal. It's such a unique fatigue. You know, I guess, I guess the, the Gurkha warrior would say, ah, oh, it's nothing, but, yeah. but there's no escaping that by the, the last hour of 18 holes of golf, oh. especially if you've walked it, it's a really interesting fatigue. You know, um, it, it's, it's hard to prepare for other than to, to do it. You know, there are some people who've had some success in that regard. Their programming has to do with act, chores of uh, activities of daily living, you know, chores. And they'll say, okay, you're going to look at a four hour stretch on Saturday and you've got to have tasks that you're doing. It obviously doesn't map out exactly right, but they, they get people to view the programming that way. That's, I admire finding a way to get people to do their homework is hard enough, but to mm-hmm. say, wow, now you're going to view it in a, a couple hour span. But I've known some people who've had success with that. I, I, I haven't yet, but um, it's, a, it's an admirable sort of ambition. So like every, uh, every 30 minutes, grab your broom and explosively swing it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Take the big leap rake, you know, leaf rake and get some wind resistance. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a fun thing. Well, it's because it's like manual labor, you know, our great grandparents did way more of it than we, than most people today do. Yeah. And yeah. so physical preparedness, they were a lot more physically prepared than the general population today. Yeah. Especially, you know, the, the old joke, I don't respect a man who doesn't clean his own bathroom. And, you know, the, <laughs> you go clean four bathrooms, you scrub four bathrooms yeah. hard on yeah. a Sunday. If it's the only way that your wife is going to love you, not that that's the case with me. I'm not saying that's the case with me. But, 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 you know, if, you, if you're really giving it a good go and you're getting down on your knees, yeah. you know, it's work, you know, it's it work. So, well, yeah, because uh, I'll be at the gym and I'll, I'll be vacuuming and then mopping and moving the equipment around and all this to get into the corners. Yeah, by the time I'm done... Like I'm, I've worked up a good sweat. Like I, I feel warm. Like I'm like, right. I put in a good amount of work. Right. And that's, that's the key. It doesn't have the same sort of buzz perhaps that when you come off of a, a higher heart rate mm-hmm. or, you know, a good swole as the kids say now, I think most of the perspectives are pretty uniform that, that killing it in the gym is not necessarily what's going to keep us living longer, you know, mm-hmm, yeah. but though that activity, not that somebody, you know, and I, I hope when I'm 85, I'm able to, if I get there, I'm able to clean my own bathroom, but it's, it's more moderate level, a lot of moderate level activity. It's probably more in the, on, in the interest of longevity, but of course, cleaning the gym, you know, isn't going to change your physique and if that's no, part yeah, of your yeah. from exercise, yeah. but respecting that it's got an inherent value to your health, I think is certainly lost, you know, because if more people appreciated how good it was for you, more people would probably be doing it. You know, at least I'd hope, I'd hope so, because that's a productive, lower level of activity. It's not quite as brutal as getting into the gym, that sort of thing. You're doing it at home, you know, so, but, uh, but that's a, that's a, it's a different programming approach and it really requires some good salesmanship, you know, to get people to, to buy in. So I, I know one of the things uh, we've been watching some of the education, we got a couple of the programs through Gray Institute and Neil and I really like the way you guys are teaching in the videos as far as much more from a conversational standpoint than a lot of the other platforms that are just more just talking at you. Yeah, that's that, that, that kind of you to say. Gary and Doug and Lenny, certainly they, that was their ambition with even some of the other, other courses that the Institute's put out that I, I'm not a part of, but they follow that same spirit. I think that stems from the way that Gary and Dave Tiberio just have always taught, you know, like that's the way you, you guys teach in your own right. It's not a didactic. Here's what I think. This is the way it's got to be. It's you got to present material. You got to you got to say, hey, try this. And, but giving people enough space intellectually to absorb it, you know, and not be overwhelmed. We felt it had value. My role in that equation was more atmosphere. The, because <laughs> what I found you know, in, okay. in, all, in all truth. Yeah. Because what I found was when I'd study gurus, right? Okay. 
inevitably you'd have questions and there'd be questions. Wow. You know, you'd ask a question and, and sometimes you get a straight answer. Sometimes you get something that's even more confusing, you know? So my role in that, my contribution was, Hey, we don't want anybody getting to the end of the course and being more confused than unintentionally more confused than we started. doesn't mean we can answer every question, but you know, if you let me sort of play the role of, well, what about this? What do you mean yeah. by that? You know, that was sort of, and so some of, most of that work was, uh, was unscripted. It was cool, present something smart. And to be fair, we have turnover. So it's not like, you know, I have some colleagues who've been with me for 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we certainly have a percentage that turns over and we got to teach brand new people and what sort of questions they might ask, you know, through their lens. Because as you, you age professionally, your lens changes, right? Oh, like, yeah. oh, I, can, I can see some brilliance in that that I could not have seen 10 years ago, at least sort of recognizing maybe what we don't know, trying to, trying to fill in those blind spots. Yeah, it's giving people that ability for critical thinking, right. you know, and to be able to say, okay, if A, you know, if I, it, does A plus B, you know, add up to C? And if it doesn't, then how do, how do we get to that solution, right? Right. And right. is there more than one way to get there? And that's, that's the thing that's so hard to try to go back to sort of go back to the original question of designing something to help somebody move better, you know, sort of coming up with an exercise, if you will, mm-hmm. um, uh, or selecting combinations of actions and whatnot. The recognition of, am I doing something with this intent? I want somebody to walk better when they come out of this exercise. Mm-hmm. So take a walk. Do you feel better? Oh, you don't, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, you yeah. know, do I expect somebody to feel better after a hard set of bench? No. But if I do the hard set of bench, I'm going to stimulate their testosterone. I'm going to drive, you know, the, mm-hmm. there's benefits. So yeah. your, your post-exercise sort of barometer or, or, or measure has to really be legit. It can't just be go walk better, go walk. But walking is a pretty good one for some, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, for most new professionals, they're not really interested in seeing that all they're looking for is a sort of objective performance outcomes. And that gets to be hard because we're, we're really fortunate. I train a guy today that's been coming for 31 years, wow. three days a week. He's not the picture. He's not men's fitness, you know, because yeah. he won't adjust his nutrition and, you know, deals with life stresses. And, but he's significantly healthier than if it had not been exercising three days a week, 47 weeks a year, you know, on a generally consistent basis and doing hopefully thoughtful stuff. Mm-hmm. More thoughtful now than it was when we started with him. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? To be to be quite honest, you know. So, but so if I if if his only barometer of success is am I doing as many push-ups in in thirty seconds as I did ten years ago? He's gonna be really disappointed, you know. Yeah. Because the difference between sixty-five and fifty-five is pretty profound for most people. You know what I mean? He could be doing the absolute best things in the world and be on the best supplements available and and. He's still going to have a natural deterioration as a result of age if he's not a genetic freak, you know? Yeah. So purely objective responses, that's hard. Most people, in my experience, end up evaluating their exercise program on, am I willing to do more of it, you know, to do it again next week? And does it provide a positive shift in my life? Not just physically, but mentally. A spouse could argue that they don't want their, their partner to play, spend so much time on the golf course. You know, you're not even burning calories. But when you come off a good round of golf, other than, in addition to that fatigue that we talked about, it's a pretty nice way to spend four hours. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Your, spirits are, your spirits are better off, <laughs> especially if you really dig playing. You know, if going and playing pickup basketball one night a week allows you to escape, you know. And so for some people, they can't continue to do sport. The gym has to be that escape. And in the old days, I used to tell trainers, it's got to be an escape. It's got to be exertional enough, not so much to overcook, but it's got to be exertional enough to distract them from whatever's going on in their world, that they have to be able to be in the moment. Mm-hmm. And certainly, Neil, when we were talking earlier about you, you know, climbing, you got to be in the moment there. You know, you can't be thinking about what time? You know, when's <laughs> your dinner? first client tomorrow yeah. morning? You know what I mean? Especially maybe on a warm-up climb or something. You know? Yeah. You know, you know, He's thinking um, spaghetti or raviolis tonight. Exactly. Exactly. You know. So that's another thing that um, that I, I think is tough for. Well, it's one of the reasons why, to be fair, 
in person, and this is an editorial, but why personal training is an industry that if, I mean, and I'm interested in your guys' opinion, if you've got two choices, somebody who's brilliant and well-studied with no personality, no capacity to connect and motivate, or vice versa, no expertise, but huge, you know, really people just love being with that person. Unfortunately, that's that personality probably wins the day in terms of more business, right? Yeah. What we want is a balance. Yeah. You know, you want somebody with the with the charisma of a, good, a really good coach, but with the mindset and and thoughtfulness of, if you will, a, ther- a therapist. You know. I think we hope for the charismatic person who connects can empower because that person hopefully can continue to learn right and be a student i think it's harder for the other person to no question to to do the other right right and yeah. and there are some there are some cool groups i mean i think you know pivotal and there's some other organizations where they they you know the, the like the, the speaking organization that we talked about mm-hmm. before we started yeah who can improve that asset of mm-hmm. connectability and that sort of thing. It's nice when it's on, when it's a natural, but what to me, what, the, what education does good quality education sort of stuff you guys provide and the other groups we've mentioned provide is if your tool belt is significant and you've got a thinking brain, then what you're teaching can provide the distraction and provide the inspiration and the connection. That thing that, you know, like to, to pull it around that feels cool. Wow, yeah, man, I, yeah. I felt really successful. Can you come out of a can a can a client come out of a session feeling like they're not BS, but feel like they were successful? You know, they did something that was good for them. They were pretty good at it. They didn't get over tweaked to the point of where, yeah, I know Pat was trying to get me to get better at working that wheelbarrow, but I dropped the sled three times. You know, I don't I don't feel like I did it well at all because I over tweaked them potentially. That's probably the art form, and hopefully experienced professionals are better at it than, you know, because of the, the educational efforts we put in to try to learn, try to keep an open mind so that when we're faced with a client who's got, we've got a dilemma, here's what they got to do better, the tasks they want to get better at or need to get better at. Maybe they're not good at certain things that might be the easiest way to teach. Can we find a way to simplify, get them better at stage one? Some people nowadays refer to it as chunking an activity. So mm-hmm. can we chunk it down Break it down and then eventually put the pieces back together. And that's, it's not always easy to do. Not always easy to do. Well, like the client that you've trained for 31 years, I mean, you need to be able to, to keep things, you know, have novel things, but, you know, use all those principles and apply them to different tools. And because after 31 years of training, you can't do the same thing over and over and over. Oh, and no, then their, their body changes, you know, their goals change, activities change. Oh yeah. The, and there's a mental fatigue, right? There are certain things in my own personal exercise program, not that I'm, some, I'm by no means any sort of elite fitness professional in from a, a conditioning standpoint, but you know, I, I'm happy to do some weighted chin-ups every week, a couple mm-hmm. times, two, ta- two days a week. Cause I dig it, you know, but if I do it four or five days a week, it's probably not good for me. You know, the, <laughs> and I, I need other flavors in my program. Now I'm just talking about for enthusiasm, you know? mm-hmm. and uh, and that's certainly part of what a great trainer's got to be able to do is be able to spice it up and still keep it really valuable for the person, yeah. not not just for the interest of spice because certainly the internet has provided that for us. Oh, yeah. you, know, you can see so many, for lack of a better term, cool, funky, high intensity things. Mm-hmm. But I think I say I say humbly. First, you got to be able to demo it. So my rule is, if I can't demo it, I probably can't have you do it. <laughs> um, That's a good rule to live by, though. Yeah, the, you know, during the course of a day, if I have a couple, you know, uh, high performance soccer players or basketballers in the, and I want them to do some hopping work, because you know, like with when when you break down and watch slow mo of any of the dribbling stuff that the soccer players do for training. It's all hopping. That's why mm-hmm. little kids aren't, they, all they can do is plant their foot and put a, the sole of their foot on the ball and pull it back because they can't hop on that foot to, to have that other leg work like a hockey stick until they're older. But when I have to demo a hopping matrix or something like that, 
Like, so I'm going to do it on two legs because I'm not warmed up yet. <laughs> but you're going to do it on your right leg. You know? <laughs> and you're going to get really far out there and you're going to explode back. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. You got any uh, new projects in the in development or anything on the horizon that you got coming up? Within our own business, we're looking to expand a little bit. Oh, nice. Um, open another facility or two. The, most of our facilities are sort of mid-size. You wouldn't call them big box. You wouldn't call them studio. In any given facility, we'll serve clientele that we're working with, the mm-hmm. personal training client. But then the building above us, you know, we're managing their fitness center. Oh, um, gotcha. So there are people come down. So you really have two populations, self-serve and somebody who's coming into what we hope is a fine restaurant. But with COVID, people have gotten more used to not expecting a full lot, you know, because like in our facilities, nobody could take a shower for months. You know, oh, months yeah. on end. Yeah. So people are going back home anyway. So we'll probably try to explore and look look to see if we can open a few suburban studio locations, that sort of thing. And that's that's sort of what's cooking on our side. In the same way that Neil, you mentioned for the client, you have to be able to to keep it, you know, enticed. My role is to try to be able to do that for a staff because then they have to pass that on to the client, you know, be able mm. to, to give them nuanced ideas and have some organization to it. So like within our house, we're going from this will sound like I'm a dinosaur because I am in some ways, but we're going from paper charts on the client to, to everything on, you know, on tablet, like the hospitals nice. do. Yep. Um, and there's probably a lot of li- you know, viewers or listeners out there who are going, are you kidding me? You're just getting around to that. <laughs> but to really design a cool program that we could do an exercise prescription on and be able to nuance, you know, that, that took us some time. I couldn't find a cookie cutter off the shelf sort of thing even though everybody told me I could, you know, like, Oh, there's so much out there. You know, you don't, we're in the midst of that project, trying to be able to have everything on tablet and audio and be able to give feedback on your you know, notes on a session, especially because we team train. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. You know, we're, we're looking forward. I hope I haven't bitten off more than I can chew there, you know, <laughs> but if, if I can find a way to make note-taking and communications development of the programming, um, not artificial intelligence, but make it more, efficient and effective, then it'll let it just frees up the trainer to be able to put forth their personality and really be thinking about problem solving on the floor with a client, you know, who you've got this brilliant exercise prescription. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, just think about the concept of periodization, periodization with the real life people, you know, it's nice with college athletes, but even some of the pros I dealt with, I thought, okay, finally, I can apply some of this great periodization stuff that I studied. And the athlete comes up to me and we've spent three weeks building up to a certain point in there, you know, where we're really going to do some high intensity stuff. And the guy says, Hey, I got to go visit my mom this weekend. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Friday, Saturday session, man. These are like the pinnacle of what we've been building to. And he's like, I'm sorry, man. I really miss my mom. <laughs> and I'm like, And in real life, most people, you know, train less at the holidays. They get sick once or twice a year. If if they're lucky, only once or twice. They've got a work problem that keeps them out of the gym. Life periodizes them, you know? So you got to roll with it on a daily basis is what we found. But I need, I want to have, and I want my trainers to have maximal bandwidth so that when one of you walks in the gym, they're able to really be very comfortable looking at the situation and trying to see if A and B add up to C and if they don't, how do we change it? Mm -hmm. Um, And not worried about, does the pen have enough ink and that sort of thing, you know, throughout history in medicine and in in the legal practices, they hire people to do dictation for them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. No, but every professional has got to be keeping some relatively copious notes from session to session in order Mm -hmm. to really serve their customer. Ideally, whether you're an individual trainer or in a team setting like ours. So we're just trying, we're trying to solve that puzzle. It'll take a little more work, but we think we're close. You know, they, it will, it'll be something that works in-house. Not, we're not developing a product that, you know, gotcha. that we're, that, that's not an ambition by any means. But, but if it makes my house work smoother and my customers can get better, yeah. better, really what, what I think is, is often lost is that exercise experience as good as it can be. Is it tailored to the person to the day they're having, within the week they're having, you know, um, can you deliver what they need then? And it may be what you planned and it may not be, you know, but what I think too often happens in the industry, everybody faces that 
but they're like, cool, you need something other than what's on my paper? Let me throw it out. Let's go crazy. That's an extreme that has some risks. You know what I mean? Or, or to take somebody who, who does need some resistance. They need some load. But really, what you could get them there if you just be a little strategic in your warm-up and not be in such a rush to get there. You give them 15 or 20 minutes to, to get into being at the gym, then they're there for you. You know, then they can rally and bring some juice to the mix. But just because they walk in the door, if you throw it out right away because they say they're exhausted, you may have lost an opportunity to serve them optimally. You know, so that, that was a long babble on we're just trying to improve the product. <laughs> well, yeah. it, well, it's good to see that you're growing, especially coming out of what we've been through the last year plus. So that's fantastic. It'll be um, reasonable growth for a business that's been been going for 34 years. And, you know, you look for what, what you can get, you know, not to yeah. sound overly humble, but, you know, growth comes in stages. And, and what, I, what no business wants is a short-term growth that has a whiplash effect on the other side. You know, you're mm-hmm. not ready for it. You can't handle it. It overtaxes the resources you have, that sort of thing. And to, to get, get a new trainer to where they can really navigate the, you know, because in DC and like all over the country, most people who are going to personal trainers are probably pretty savvy yeah. on some level. They may not be savvy about exercise, but they probably think they are. And that's yeah. even, that's as, we, as I'm sure you guys have dealt with, that's a tougher customer to handle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you know, yeah. And that's a tougher, <laughs> you, you almost want, you, what you want is somebody who's like, no, no, you're the expert, you know, but, but that's not always who we get. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's like, it's like when you you tell that person, you're like, you know, when I take my car to my mechanic, I don't tell my mechanic how to fix my car because I would have right. just done that myself. Totally. Totally. <laughs> but, at, but exercise for so many and fitness and health for so many people, it is, it's a hobby. It's mm-hmm. an avocation. And so if they have any ego at all, they have a confidence in what they've learned, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And their experience. And so they, they have to present, you got to, got to let them present that for a little bit. I think one of the biggest mistakes I used to make and still fall into it sometimes is, no, no, let me tell you what I know. No, no, I I know you think you're smart, but let me just blow you away with a couple of cool (laughs) ideas, you know, some neuromuscular fascial diversity and why that's so important. I probably lost more customers than I, you know, (laughs) I I quickly realized I needed, I, I shouldn't be the one doing the sales with the new customers. I needed to come in about three weeks later because I, I just had too big an ego. I had to be the one that knew the most. Um, mm-hmm. it, just, it took me a while to get around that. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say. But, well, I, I think the vast majority of us fall into that trap big time. So that's yeah. just, it's just, it's a little bit of human nature, I think too. Probably. Yeah, yeah probably. I think there's and, a lot and, of that. And it happens as a presenter too, right? The, oh yeah. You know, you're in front of a crowd. You're not sure. Crowd of professionals. You're not sure who's in the audience. You know, the, the, one of the first times I ever presented, I was at a physical therapy clinic. And so there is, there is some obvious or some understandable sort of hesitance that, that a group of physical therapists are going to bring in a personal trainer. I was doing the sort of classic warm up. Let's go around and introduce ourselves, you know, so that I could get my legs under me. And the, the course had to do with the foot and ankle. And that uh, was the first time that I presented the course personally. And there was a little bit of stress in the audience when they found out I was a personal trainer. The one guy said, the one guy said, I'm a doctor, you know, I specialize in podiatric medicine. And I heard him say pediatric. And oh. I said, Oh, kids, you know, that's really interesting. And you could see all the therapists looking at each other like, what? Who is this? And, and honest to goodness, it was eight o'clock in the morning. And the course was going till five o'clock at night, right? <laughs> and, and it ended up working out fine. I was able to rally. But when he said, no, podiatry, study of the foot, what this course is about, <laughs> the, it was just this multitude of stresses. And it was like a movie, the clock on the back of the wall <laughs> said 802. And I could see it like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know? it, was, it was the longest, that hour was the longest hour of my life. Once I got them up and exercising, you know, it was, you know, no problem. Well, the first time we ever had our first public course and and Dr. John Meyer registered for the course. And so when his, when it came through on the email, I saw a doctor and I went, okay, well, let's Google this guy. 
And when is when is when I Googled him, <laughs> I told I'm like, um, do you know who this guy is? I was oh, like, yeah. and so we're going down the list and we're like, okay. So oh. yeah, we're up there teaching. We're and- teaching, and we're basically watching him to see his facial reactions on right. what we're teaching. I'm like, oh man, he thinks we're morons. And so <laughs> at the end of day one, he was like, during all of day one, he was pretty much stone faced. Right. And so we get done with day one. And so we're like, how, you know, and he's like, well, I'm going to have dinner with some associates up at Stanford. And so I said, okay. And so he leaves and we're like, oh, he hates us. He, he, he thinks we're, <laughs> we're like, look at each other going, oh, he thinks we're complete knobs. Like, I, I'm like, right. I'm, and fortunately, after the end of day two, he's all like, I really appreciate what you guys are teaching. It's fantastic. He's like, I'm going to keep you guys busy. And we're like, whoa. So uh, we were super intimidated, but uh, thankfully it worked out. Yeah, but we know exactly what that feels like. Don't be overly humble. I mean, I think they're at his institute. Mm-hmm. The think they're big, big fans of of what you teach and how you teach it. Yeah, big, we big still fans. keep in touch with him pretty frequently. So yeah. he, uh, yeah. we bounce ideas off. I even ping him sometimes for my own health. You know, like I right. had a thing on my hand, so I was like, "Hey, who would you use?" and Right. So he's all like, ping me back. Oh, I would go to Dr. So-and-so. So I was like, all right, well, that's what I'm going to go see. <laughs> I'm like, I trust his opinion. So I'm like, if he would use this guy, I'm going to go see the same person. So, yeah. For sure. So, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I yeah. remember in the early days when I was doing doing shows for the Gray Institute, mm-hmm. we didn't really have it down in terms of be like, okay, well, you know, you go out and promote it. And, you know, I'd be going into PT clinics and gyms and they're like, who? You know? Yeah. <laughs> <It> was, yeah. <laughs> That sort of grassroots promotion was like it was impossible, you know. Yeah. When they when they first came out with the three D maps assessment, you know, I thought it was super cool. I believed in it, but yeah. nobody'd heard of it, you know, maybe yeah. because yeah. it was brand new. Yeah. You know, there was it was really it was a tough sell. Well, I think what's interesting is over the years, I've been very surprised at when I bring up people that I think are really are big names that we all know, right? Right, and yet you get all these blank stares and you're like, uh-huh. Oh my God. Like, so as, as big as we think we are, right. We still got a lot of work to do to get noticed and to get right. into the more of the mainstream fitness culture, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And especially cause it, for better or worse, that the industry still, there's tons, so much turnover. Um, yeah. there's so much, yeah. so yeah. many, so many new trainers on a constant basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I can remember years ago, it would NASM would go to Vegas and that was fun. You know, it was different. Uh, they did it for a couple of years and Greg cook was there. And I can remember him saying, this will be the last time I teach this course because I'm moving on to new material. And, and then I saw him a couple of years later. I said, Hey, what are you doing? He goes, I'm wrong, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was the stat? Uh, it was something. Cr- it's only six months. Yeah. The average, yeah. The average uh, fitness trainer career is about six months. A little wow. over. Wow, that's, that's nothing. That oh yeah, yeah. I mean that's literally. I mean when you think of that, you're like, huh? Yeah. I mean somebody today in in July signs done up, by Christmas. and they're going to be yeah. done by Christmas. They're going to be out of the industry. Yeah. They're going to have invested their time and their money, and then be over. Like wow, it's pretty crazy to think of that. Well, it's like how many times do when you tell people what you do, are they surprised that that's the only thing you do? Almost all the time. Right. You know, and, and it's funny because, of course, I'm sure you guys have lived it. When my guess is like with you guys, because you teach the, you know, your tool. Mm-hmm. The, but then when you start doing some sort of performance strength stuff, they're like, whoa, where'd that come from? You yeah. Know, yeah. <laughs> um, it's a weird it's a weird thing. You know, I was on. A, we've all suffered this, but I was on the phone with a dad a couple of days ago and his his kids, a rugby player in college. Mm-hmm. And, you know. It took 30 minutes for me to get the guy to shut up and just say, you know, you know just, just tell me what you need and I'll, I'll try to provide it. You can decide if I'm providing it. But, you know, you're telling me what medicine to prescribe. You're telling me what his diagnoses are. You know, I was like, okay, but why do you need it? You know, he obviously won't listen to you. 30 minutes of feeding his ego. And meanwhile, I'm like, I haven't made a nickel yet. <laughs> or I haven't helped anybody. You know, yeah, you can do it either way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I was like, this hasn't served anybody. Yeah. You know, and he closed out. But the funniest thing was, he closed out like so many dads and moms. It's like, 
So and he really needs to, to develop that mental toughness to know he can do two more. And meanwhile, in my head, I'm thinking, he doesn't need to do two more. He's, he just needs to work out, you know? Yeah. A little, little bit's going to go a long way with him, you know? He's a genetic freak. But he doesn't have yeah. to kill it, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, I think what's interesting is you tell people, yeah, I've been in the industry full, full time for 20 years. And they're like, really? They're like, you don't have a side gig? You don't have a side job? Right. And I'm like, no, this is right. my career. Right. Like, it's what I've been, what I chose to do and what I love to do. And, right. and uh, it is very surprising because people kind of expect you, oh, well, I figure you do this part time and then you sell real estate or something. You're like, no, dude, this is what I do. Yeah. yeah. I, tell all my, I tell all my staff, I said, when you get to what else do you do or what are you going to do next? Yeah. I said, you know, just chuckled, you know. what's interesting is is we were kind of talking about what you said about being genetic freaks is is really getting people to understand that paradigm of the athletes that we're watching and that we see is that they are genetically superior and and i think people i don't know if people have a hard time understanding what that actually means when we say that i think for most people it's almost unfathomable they can't they couldn't really process the difference between them and what we see on tv you know it's just it's just un. now they're regular people in many ways you know i saw a special on rafael and the doll the other night and Mm -hmm. just talks about being a regular person except when he's on the tennis court you know Um, yeah right and there he is just you know it's just too much so I had a, a friend one time, I was telling him about a pro that I was training a, a basketball player. And this was when I really didn't know what I was doing. And he watched the guy on an agility ladder and he goes, you know, I, think I could hang with him. You know, and I was like, <laughs> you have no idea. Yeah. You know, he, he, he was a little clumsy on an agility ladder that didn't fit his size 13 shoe. You know, uh-huh. I said, I said you, he could spot you 20 and beat you to, you know, 20. It was just unbelievable. And he was a trainer. You know, he was, yeah. he was not, it was tough. <laughs> yeah, you have to see a pro athlete live to really appreciate it. I remember uh, Dennis and I, when we went to go see the Bengals and this wide receiver, third string coming off an ACL, he's, you know, he's getting back into training. He's doing, he's doing some running drills and he just planted his foot in the ground and you hear the thump and you're like, that's different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's different. Yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah, I had I pl- the same yeah. experience. First time I was and th- this guy was like your third stringer. You know, he was a hotel professional boxer. Wasn't like he was right, and I was in a gym where he was hitting a heavy bag. It, it hurt me from across the gym. Yeah. You know, I was like, yeah. he would kill me, he would kill me dead with one punch. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, you think of that hitting your body, and you just go, oh. And then you, when you watch that person in a ring with another boxer, and that boxer's taking that punch, yeah, you're just all like, yeah. oh my god, I would have crumbled over and been like, right. I give, I give, I give, like surrender, oh, yeah. right? I had a client years ago that played collegiate tennis and so we went out the one day to play tennis and he's like okay i'll serve and this guy it's been 20 (laughs) plus years since he played collegiate tennis holy the the serve just went whoosh and i was like (laughs) i literally i like i'm like uh frank can you serve it so i can return it that's the object of why we're out here as i mean literally and i'm going and this guy never hit pro level and right. he's just and 20 years after he played collegiate tennis and he's just blistering it yeah. you know for me i love pro tennis i think tennis players are really underrated as far as athletic value of what they can do their speed i think is drastically underrated in, in the world of sports but i don't, when you see I, I don't live, know that i disagree with you that and there i think off the top of my head i mean i guess some of the field sports Mm-hmm. have to deal with wet turf mm-hmm. but literally i mean those on that big four you know the the majors they play on four different surfaces yeah. you know what i mean so yeah. the, the underneath their foot you know so many times you know i put somebody on an ankle board and i go you know this isn't proprioceptive it's proprioceptively authentic but we feel it's got some value because the floor never moves underneath you but yeah. for those guys it does and it moves yeah. differently yeah the sap because we had we used to have the sap open out here and oh, Jimmy Arias used to come out here, and Jimmy Arias was never like he was a he like he was known in the pro ranks, but not a household name. And it was interesting to watch him play, and you're like, wow! I mean, you're just literally watching these, 
And these are not because the SAP was never a high profile professional tennis tournament. We get kind of like the lower echelon. Right. But just to watch these guys and women just tearing it up. And you're like, oh, my God, I can't even imagine seeing Rafael Nadal or Sampras. Right. I mean, as good as these guys are. Oh, Andy right. Roddick. Andy Roddick used to be the big oh, name that right. would come out here because Andy lives out here. So it was local for him. Right. Dude, Roddick, I was like, dude, I was like, oh my God. I'd watch him. I was well, like, he's got the fastest serve ever. He had, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really? I, was, I didn't know that. I think he did. Uh, I, think I know that, that time. He did at that time. I know the record is 168. Uh-huh. Is it really? Yeah. 163. It's one Wait, it's one six per hour. Yeah, it's 160 plus. <clears throat> that's the that's sure? the current record. Because Andy was it's one, like, it's like golf ball. Yeah, because right uh, Andy, yeah. Andy Roddick had, was close to hitting 150 before he okay. retired. Dang! I went down years ago after Verstegen had left IMG, mm -hmm. or right when he was leaving. I went down to try. I'd read an article on him, and I just went down to try to study. And I said, "What's it cost to to come down and observe for a couple of days?" And they said, "Same thing as if you were getting trained as an athlete." I said, "Okay." I was still playing some amateur soccer, you know, low level, mm -hmm. and. I went down and for the assessment, they partnered you, partnered you up. So okay. they partnered me up with a, a professional hockey goalie and who was doing a reassessment. He was back checking back in. Mike Richter, I think was his yeah, name. Mike, oh, yeah. yeah Rangers, yep. Wonderful guy. And, you know, every, it, it, predictably, this literally the whole morning was a battery of tests from static measures to other ones. Trendelenburg, and he's putting his leg over his head and takes his shirt off and he looks like a comic book, you know. <laughs> and the, so he's killing me and everything. Right. Mm -hmm. We get to the last thing and it was some version of the beep or the yo-yo test. And okay. I, and by then he was famous. So yeah. there are trainers who aren't doing anything or in watching. And so I yell, we're, we're, we're at two cones, you know, on opposites running opposite. And I yell across sort of obnoxiously, Hey, Richter, if I don't beat you in something, my wife's not going to bear my children. There's no way I'm letting <laughs> the goalie take me, you know, shut me out. So they start the beeps. And we go and we're grunting and we're screaming and we're screaming. Finally, he dropped. I go one more cone and I drop. And the, the trainers are going crazy, you know, because and, and I look over and he gives me a wink, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and I was oh, like, funny. I don't care, man. <laughs> he probably had 20 more left in him. <laughs> it's funny because it, for goalies, because that's the, what I grew up playing. When you grow up playing it, you don't understand. You kind of take it for granted because you think it's easy in a way. Huh? But when you don't play it for a while and then you get back in net, then you're like, damn, this is a hard position to play because you're just envisioning you're only playing in this little box, essentially. Right. You don't right? really move outside of it. But then you're like. You know, so growing up, I was like, I just took it for granted. This is what I do. I'm a goaltender. So I get up and down. I cut back and forth, whatever. And then it was probably a good 15 years. And then I went back out on the ice and somebody needed a goalie sub. And I said, hey, I played goalie. Oh, my God. By the end of the first period, I'm like, just kill me. Just kill me. Like, I was dying. I, I forgot how because I just didn't know how hard it was in as right. far as energy-wise and stamina. But I was I was done after the first period. I was like, I oh my it. god! I'm like, I'm just gonna lay down because I'm pretty much gonna be just as <laughs> useful there as if I actually try to play this position. So huh. yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting to me. I think quarterback and goaltender in hockey are probably the two most important positions in sports. Yeah, it's hard to That's, argue that. Yeah. Neil, what what did you come to come to the industry from an athletic background? Yeah, I played golf in great. college. I see you move. You move great. I played golf in college. What? Yep. But just did, you know, a lot of rock climbing, did some martial arts growing up, and just, I played a bunch of different sports, played baseball, played a little bit of hockey. Wow, the rock climbing and golf. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty two <laughs> two, two extremes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, two, two different spectrums. It's, uh, they're, they're both kind of that, uh, I don't know, that self-mastery type of thing that, yeah. you know. Yeah. So huh. you can only blame yourself. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully you're on belay. Should you need to be on belay when you golf or when you're, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> it would help. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, he lead climbs. Yeah. So you, climb. yeah. So I, some bouldering too. Yeah. Was, oh, wow. So wow. I, I hurt myself pretty bad bouldering. I tore mm. my ATF ligament and then I uh, fractured my talus on my right, my right ankle. Fractured. That's, 
I don't think I've ever heard of a fractured tal- talus before. Yeah. That's a- and that's impressive. Pretty impressive, yeah. Uh, yeah, Dr. John Meyer is like, man, you, that must have been a pretty good fall. <laughs> no way. You went to John? That's cool. Well, no, I didn't go to him, but uh, I was messaging yeah. him, trying to, you know, ask him some questions about, hey, do you think, you know, what do you think about this? Like, have you seen this before? It's like, you know, typically in car accidents, you see it. Gotcha. You know, it's got to be pretty, or or high falls, which is, you know, what it was. Yeah, you were up there pretty good. Yeah, I was up there pretty good. Like as, 15, as 15 did- feet. As I've aged, I've decided that any sport that could end up resembling a car accident, try to yeah. <laughs> So yeah, uh, yeah. So I, that's that's my standard of of in, of inclusion. What, is it going to be like a car accident? I don't want any part. Of it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I admire your bravery. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm, you know, I'm pretty much 100 percent now. Oh, yeah, nice. I wonder because the tails has no muscles that attach to it. Yeah, but. Obviously, it must have some sensory input to the computer. Yeah. You know, uh, was it a long recovery? You know, I was in a... So, actually, I guess... Sorry, I fractured the the cartilage of the talus. Still. Maybe uh, even worse. Yeah. It, it took me... I was in a cast for about four or five weeks. So. And then I was in a boot for another four to five weeks. And then after that, it was just start loading it, start mm-hmm. moving in all directions. Right. And, uh, right. yeah, get it back. And, yeah, it's right. pretty much... I've, I have almost the same mobility that I did before. I had a I had a ton of tor- dorsiflexion on both ankles, so gotcha. losing a little bit was not a big deal. How many times as a trainers would you, you know, if somebody comes in and you got the choice between too loose or too tight, you know, you almost always take the too tight one. You know, too yeah. loose is really hard. Hard. It, it is. You can, I mean, you can you can talk theory about how we could stiffen the system, but you know. That's a great one. I agree. I'd rather take the tight versus yep. the loose because it is hard to really train that. Yeah. Yeah. You probably get more injuries too loose than too tight. I would think. And I think they're probably more challenging injuries. I don't know. You know, the, but you know, like functional, you know, the functional side of the industry has always said, you know, wow, you're going to stiffen up if you're just going vertical on load, you know, back in, I hope nowadays it's not quite as much of a dichotomy or two sides. I mean, the, to me, is a little more inclusiveness now. But the, but then, you know, the theory would then be, wow, you bring me in a ballerina. Cool. Let's have her do some classic strength training. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. it's difficult. Yeah. But, you know, you're terrified to do it. <laughs> you know, you're like, am I really going to put a, par, a bar on her back? You know, in the interest of hopefully her system will stiffen at the ankles a little bit. Is that good? I don't know. It's a yeah. weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. I mean, it's a great, yeah, it really is. Cause I mean, the thing is, is like, we've always talked about, especially with yoga people, right. They're yeah. always hanging out. A lot of them hang out on the end end joints. Right. So right. you're like, no, we, you got this joint centration thing that you should really think about. And, and you, you do, you get that tentativeness from them about being strong in essence. Right. right? And right. so it's kind of like how they're afraid of it. But and mm-hmm. I and I get it, like I understand why. But you're like, sure. it's how do we kind of get them to be okay with it? Like it's okay right. to have some strength. That's you know, you're not going to hurt yourself picking up a fifty pound load. You know, you're going to be okay, right? Yeah. You know, so it's just changing that dichotomy. Thank you, Coach Pat. Thank you very much for joining us. It was a pleasure. So uh, Boy, thank you, taking your time. Real treat for me. Real treat yeah, for me. Great you to guys- meet you, Pat. You guys have provided a big shift in the industry over the last couple of years. Keep up the great stuff. Well, thank, thank you very much. much. Appreciate I, it. I think, I think you're far more influential than you want to give yourselves credit for. You, you've done exceptionally good work. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you. you again. And to all the listeners out there, until next episode, be good to each other. See you guys. <laughs>